I am so excited to tell you that I'm finally reopening the doors to my Partnerships Masterclass course, which is absolutely everything you need to confidently build successful partnerships. And successful partnerships unlock an entirely untapped revenue stream for your business through sponsorships, while collaborative partnerships can see you reaching hundreds of thousands of potential customers without monetary spend. So they have the power to both make you money via a whole new revenue stream for your business and save you money with your marketing activity, which is so awesome. I have run this course quite exclusively in the past with really small cohorts of business owners, agency owners, and marketers. So I would say it's incredibly valuable if you're one of these three types of fabulous people looking to build a partnership skill set and revenue stream, or you're looking to offer partnerships as a service to your clients. This course is the most accessible way you can work with me personally as well. And while you have a lifetime access to the course content and obviously lifetime access to the skills and relationships you build as part of this course, you're also really not thrown in the deep end at all because I keep the cohort small on purpose so that you get that mentorship and support from me throughout the whole thing. So we're going to get you so excited about the opportunities ahead for your business, super clear on your growth strategy and how you're going to build meaningful and pivotal relationships. It's going to be so good. And doors open on the 11th of August. They're only open for 10 days though. So make sure you're on the wait list so that you don't miss out. We're actually kicking the cohort off on um, August 22nd. So immediately after the doors open, pretty much <laughs> the course begins and the doors are closed again. So you want to be on that wait list so that you don't miss out. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can access that. And you'll also nab some wait list bonuses as well if you're on there. So I can't wait to see you there. Uh, thanks so much for listening and I'll let you get into the episode now. Hello and welcome to Stop, Collaborate and Listen. We are a podcast about marketing, collaboration and business and we're brought to you by Collabasaurus.com, the matchmaker for brands. Hey, hey everyone. Welcome back to Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I'm your host, Jess Rufus, and today we are talking SEO 101. So if I look at my Google report for Collabosaurus in the last month, we had over a thousand people find us through keyword searches and, and Google searches, which actually was surprising to me. It was a lot higher than I expected, um, especially seeing as I have done next to nothing in terms of SEO optimization for Collabosaurus. I loved that more people were getting on the bandwagon when it comes to searching things like collaboration marketing. I am so thrilled that finally small businesses are really starting to get on top of this, which is fabulous. But the truth is, I would say I know SEO basics, but I absolutely would not call myself an expert. And Collabosaurus is missing easily about 85% of the optimizations and improvements that we could make in this department, which I know that if I made those, we could easily get so many more people to find us. So I'm lucky enough today to be joined by the amazing Erin of Young Folks Digital. Uh, she is one of the smartest SEO guns I know, and she's the brains behind Young Folks Digital, which is a digital marketing agency that specializes in SEO. But Erin's background in at, in content marketing and as a strategist actually means that she has a really incredible end-to-end skill set when it comes to all things marketing and customer journeys. So everything from PR and influencers to email marketing. 
to SEO and social media as well. So she's prepped some amazing straightforward tips and tricks for getting started with your own SEO and I can't wait to share these with you. And she dives into what it actually looks like to build a robust strategy around your SEO as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for coming on this show today. I so appreciate your time and your incredible smarts when it comes to SEO. So would you mind starting off with, you know, what is SEO and why is it important for small business? Okay, so SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization um, and not to be confused with SEM, which is Search Engine Marketing. Um, And that is the term that's commonly used to refer to the paid search activity whereas SEO is primarily referring to the organic side of things. So optimizing your website to try and get it to appear in search engine results pages, so Google's listings, um, organically without paying for those clicks. So when we talk about SEO, it's, it's really about the practice of trying to increase the volume and quality of traffic from search engines like Google. And you do that by making improvements to your website to make it more accessible and desirable to the algorithm the a word can't get away with explaining seo (laughs) without the a word (laughs) i think as well like it might be surprising to a lot of small businesses how much they're being found through google searches and stuff like that i was surprised when i had a look in google analytics how many people were actually coming from a google search so um yeah organically optimizing your website so that it ranks and shows up in you know the correct Google searches or the ones that you want to be found for is probably more important than you might think. Oh, definitely. And it's, I think it's one of those things that people often put on the back burner. Like they think about, I want my website to look good and they focus on the design side of it. And that's really important because the usability and user experience is important. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't organized the content on the site in a way that makes sense to search engines, then it's not going to be discoverable easily. You don't get that traffic to the the site that you've spent so much time. Exactly. Or money. Yeah. Exactly. And then Um, the other part of it is like the time that people have this kind of misconception that SEO takes a really long time and you're not going to get benefit uh, from SEO for a long time. And they focus on other channels like social media, which feel like you get a bit more instant gratification because you've got likes and comments mm -hmm. and shares. But it, I think when you actually compare the two, it probably takes just as long to build a quality, like large scale social media community as it would to just work on your SEO as well. Totally. Know? And I think also, I mean, I remember my experience working in agency, like the amount of people who um, would offer expert SEO help and all that, there was very few around. And then the ones that kind of were around and marketing themselves well and all that kind of stuff were way beyond the budget of a small business. But now, thankfully, <laughs> there's more around in terms of helping get your SEO strategy up and running. And I want to ask you about young folks and how you guys do that. Um, towards the end. But before we get into that, what's your best first starting point for SEO? So if you're a small business and you want to get started, what's the first thing that they could do? For me, it's really important to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's looking for your product or services. So, and I think this is true of pretty much any marketing channel. Like we always think about it from our own perspective because we're trying to grow our businesses but we actually have to kind of flip that and look at it from 
our audience's perspective? Like what do they need? What are they looking for? And how does what we sell solve a problem for them? So when you think about that in the context of search engines, people are turning to Google for everything from like initial research around the product or a holiday or, you know, you, you ever think about when you're going on a trip, it's always like, when's the best time to visit Montenegro or what to do in Paris? Like what are the best things to do in Paris or free things to do in Paris? Like people are Googling these kinds of questions and they can be very specific, you know, questions that people are looking up in search engines. So sometimes I like to encourage our clients um, and our team to start by kind of typing in like their, their actual service or product and then looking through the results. And there's a little section in there called people always ask. And it, it's the questions that relate to kind of the seed keyword, if you like. Um, Is this when you start asking. typing into the Google box and then it auto generates what it thinks you're going to ask? No, that's another good chip, uh, trick though as well. <laughs> so when you, Google's got so many different parts of its search results now. When you actually load the page, usually at the top you have ads and uh-huh. then if it's location specific, you might have maps. Um, yep. If it's not location specific, you might have something that's called a featured snippet, which is that like big box. So if there's like a list, it often shows mm-hmm. you like the bullet point list in the article yeah, we can put like we. I can send I a screen grab of this for like the show notes if that. Yes, helps. no. I I searched something yeah. yesterday and it came up like that. It was um, and it's so good because then it's like you just have your answer right there. Yeah, exactly. And then like underneath that, then you might have something called people always ask, and that might just be like a couple of lines of questions that people often ask in relation to the topic. Okay. And then you have the normal search results, and then right at the bottom, there's more questions like related search terms. So I always suggest to people to do a search for the thing that you sell and see what comes up there because that will start to give you a little bit more context around how people look for that thing and what are the related sort of questions and topics around that particular thing as well. That's awesome. That's such a good tip. So after um, doing a little bit of an experiment, what's the next best thing? (laughs) So what's tip two? What's step number two? with? So step number two, after you've got a good idea of like, how people are looking for your brand it's really to start to decide what keywords you want to rank for so sometimes it's a good idea to look for an easy win like your brand name should be an easy win because it's your brand your website url is going to have the brand name in it and all of your kind of content on your homepage is likely to be about your brand so if someone was to Google your brand name, you're most likely going to come out. But I have a funny story about that relating to my brand name. And this is like an SEO faux pas from the SEO (laughs) expert. That was very funny uh, in hindsight. So when I first started my business, I went through, like most people, I'm sure, loads of different names. What do I want to call my business? And I I ended up landing on young folks because it felt like a nice fit Folks sort of has a community aspect to it. And the young part for me was really about, we work a lot with brands that they want to grow. And when you're young, you've got growing to do. So I kind of felt like that was a nice fit. And I also loved the song, Young Folks. I love the name. (laughs) But then when I made made my site, I was like, perfect, get the branding done, made the website, like 
super happy with it all. And I Googled myself and it was just pages and pages and pages of results for the song, <laughs> the lyrics for the song, Young Folks. Interviews with the band who wrote the song, Young Folks. And I was like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I've got a brand name that I can't compete with <laughs> in oh, SEO because this band is so popular. So I ended up adding digital on the end. I was like, oh, Young right. Folks Digital, done. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair but enough. But that's a perfect example of like when you, you're kind of looking for an easy win, usually your brand will be because no one else has typically got that as their kind of focus. But occasionally you get little like curly ones like that with our brand name that come up. So you end up having to think about what you need to do from an SEO perspective yeah. to be discovered online. And you mentioned before, you know, like once you have a little Google around to see what people are searching for, sometimes, like you said, it's super specific in which case you can create content around that like super specific search phrase, like free thing, best free things to do in Paris on a Monday. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so if you think about like, if you're an e-commerce retailer that sells like dresses, women's clothing, for example, the keyword, the generic kind of term women's dresses is going to have quite a lot of competition and it's, more than likely dominated by big e-commerce players like ASOS and the Iconic who have marketing teams behind them that are working on this all the time. So if you're like a small business online retailer selling women's dresses, you're kind of going to have your work cut out for you to try and outrank one of the big guys. But you might be able to kind of focus on something that makes your brand unique that may have may make it a little bit easier for you to rank. Like it might be that you're a store in Sydney. So it could be like Women's Dresses Boutique Sydney or Women's Dresses Boutique uh, Wallara, something a little bit more specific. Or if the dresses are ethically made or if it's vegan bags or if it's that they're certified organic. Like if there's anything that makes your product unique. And a lot of the time in the small business space, it's the uniqueness that sets the brands apart as opposed to like, mass availability of variety of products that then you've got an opportunity within search engines to focus on what makes you unique and that might make it easier to actually try and rank you're not competing with such big organizations that have seo teams that are kind of you know focusing on the growth all the time and also i mean how often do you google women's dresses like i don't think i've ever googled that thing but i have googled like you know a line white dresses for a cocktail party or you know something like exactly very specific and sometimes you can create like if you're running like a fashion e-commerce store i've i've ended up landing on pages before i'm pretty sure from showpo did this really well where it was like top five like chic work outfits for millennials or something like that and it was a blog post but then of course featured all of their clothes and all that kind of stuff and it was full of you know seo optimized keywords and phrases and stuff like that so that that specific thing that i was looking for which was like new workwear that i didn't hate um i could find very very quickly that's exactly right and that's where you kind of end up having you think about organizing the content on your website into collections that make it easy to navigate. So in an e-commerce example, it's going to be things like products by, um, it's like products organized by their category, like women's dresses or t-shirts or shoes, or then subcategories like of shoes, you will have boots and heels and sandals. So it's all organized in a way that we easily understand when we're navigating the website But then from an SEO perspective, that's where your blog's going to come in really handy, where you're doing 
you know, um, 10 of the best black boots for winter in 2019. Like you can recycle that piece of content every year and update it with the latest products. But people Google to, they add the year to things these days because people don't want to see what the best boots were in 2015. Yeah. And I think as well, like when, when people are searching, they're not searching for like, or I mean, some people would, I suppose, but women's dresses is very genetic. I think a generic, genetic, what am I trying to say? It's early morning. Um, I think it's more conversational. So having that conversational, you know, where can I find blah, blah, blah. Like I've often Googled things like great coffee near me or, you know, things like that. So having that location specific tag is an awesome tip. So The near me is a really good keyword trick as well. Like even if you can factor that into any of your content, because people do look up like coffee shop near me. Totally. If you're a local business. Oh my gosh. That's so, so good. So, I mean, your first tip was have a little look around what people are typically searching for in relation to your business. Second one was to decide on some keywords that you um, really want to rank for and quick wins could include your business name and, you know, um, little unique things that make your business unique that you can then be searchable for. Um, what's your tip number three? So within that, you, once you've got the keywords that you want to rank for sort of decided, and I usually like to kind of go into a spreadsheet at this point, which is, it's unavoidable (laughs) in the SEO world. Um, (laughs) Must have spreadsheets. Must have spreadsheets. Yeah. (laughs) So you kind of want to use your spreadsheet to organize all the keywords that you want to rank for. I like to use um, tools to uh, understand what the search volume per month is for those terms. So you might find that something like vegan bags, Australia might have 250 searches per month. But Do you have bags. a tool that you um, yes, tend to? I was going to suggest a couple. Okay. Um, so there's one called Uber Suggest that is free. Um, so that's a good one to have a look at. You can also use a tool called Keywords Everywhere, which is a plugin for your browser. So I think it's a Chrome extension. So you can plug that into your browser. There's also another one called Keyword. Um, what is it? Keyword. Ask, answer the public. That's the one. So answer the public also helps with keyword research. So awesome. all of these tools will tell you how many times people search that term every month. And that can help you prioritize what's important as well. Like if you find out that, like I was saying before, vegan bags, Australia has 250 searches a month, but um, vegan leather bags has 480. You might go, okay, well, do I want to make, do I want to prioritize the one that has more volume or do I want to prioritize the one that's specific to my location? Like you can kind of make some decisions there. So I like to decide on what the keywords are, look at the volume and kind of organize that in a spreadsheet and then make sure that I assign a page for each unique keyword or each sort of unique theme of keywords. So I might do like we were talking about before, like black, um, black boots might be or black women's boots or black ankle boots might be a focus that Best I do. ankle boots for winter 2019. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So having that kind of blog post, but that blog post might link back to my black leather boots page on the site in, in e-commerce. So it's sort of thinking about what's the overall kind of structure of the site going to look like and how am I going to organize all those keywords? And then then it really comes down to optimizing the page. And there's a few things you can do to make sure that a page is optimized. And like on, a, on its most simple level, it's making sure that the keyword that you want to rank for 
is in its most simple form in the URL of the page. So it might be mywebsite.com forward slash black boots winter 2019. And that's it. So the URL is super important. Exactly. Yeah. The URL is super important. The page title tag, which is sometimes referred to as the page title or the title tag. It's those fields that you'll see in Shopify, in Squarespace, in WordPress, like they're all available in those sites, um, in those CMS platforms where you, it'll see like title tag and then meta description underneath or title and description. And those are your two opportunities to tell search engines how you want your page to be represented in the search results. So, you know, when you're scrolling through Google results and you see like the blue headline and then the gray description underneath. Yeah. Yeah. That's the title and meta description. So that's your opportunity to sell your business. It's like your your little miniature ad in search results. Which I know Collabosaurus does poorly and we haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, like I said I'm at the start, it's always the thing that's like the last thing on people's <laughs> list. <laughs> but getting it right from the start can be really helpful. Like, And if you haven't done it at the start, it's no biggie. You can, like, it's an opportunity. It's not too late. <laughs> too late like (laughs) there's some like amazing ads on at the moment because of the federal election and they're always talking about you know the best time to build infrastructure in victoria was 10 years ago but the next best time is now and i actually really love that kind of sentiment i'm like (laughs) if you haven't done it the next best time to do it is now so just exactly take advantage of the opportunity Uh so yeah you'll have your keyword in the url you'll have your keyword or a variation of your keyword in your page title tag and meta description. And then you've got your heading one, which is, you know, in like word, how you have your heading styles, like you can choose. Yes. I want yes. a big heading. It's like or the I formatting. Want... Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So you have that for web pages as well. It's just exactly the same kind of thing. And those heading styles tell search engines what's important on a page. So something's an tagged as an H1 or a heading one, then it must be important content because why would you put it as the heading of the page otherwise? And same goes, like a heading. Interesting. Yeah, so you kind of have to think about Google as almost like it's literally a computer reading your site. It doesn't have any context about, it doesn't see the images, it doesn't feel the tone of your writing. It actually processes it almost like a screen reader for the vision impaired. So it's literally just going through top to bottom and sort of saying, like, this is, oh, this is a heading one. Oh, that must be important content. Oh, this is a page title tag. That must be important content. So if you are including the keyword or variations of the keyword that you want to target for that page in those particular areas, it helps to tell search engines that's what the, that's what the page is actually about. Okay, Awesome. Does that Fabulous. make sense? I feel like yeah, I'm no, a little bit technical there. <laughs> no, no, it totally makes sense. And I'm just like picturing myself um, publishing a blog post, and we do. We have the header, ta- we have the header format, and then the body content. You know, everyone would have that on any page or blog page on their website. Exactly. So. Yeah, and like your body content and your the, your images are important as well. Like you can add alt tags to images, so therefore the so vision impaired is, as well. What is an image alt tag? So an image alt tag is like a little, it's basically saying it's the alternate kind of information that it's going to share with um, screen readers. So, you know, when you hover over an image on a website and that little yellow kind of box yes. pops up, 
It's that's usually like the image like. name or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's usually, well, yeah, because people when don't people fill don't. out their old text. <laughs> 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 but you can fill it out and it's an opportunity from an SEO perspective because it, and also from a usability perspective for screen readers because it tells you if the image doesn't load, show this description instead. And if the person or can't see the image and they're using a screen reader, tell them what it is. So the alt tag should tell the person who's, tell the search engine the screen reader or the person if the image doesn't load what the image actually is so if you had your like our best black boots to winter 2019 blog you're probably going to have that as like a list kind of style article and you'll probably have a heading and a picture and a description for each of the styles that you're kind of promoting or talking about in the blog post so if you had a picture of like black ankle boots you might want to put the alt tag for the image as something like black ankle boots or if it was a specific brand black ankle boots it might be like tony bianco black ankle boots or i've literally searched that exact thing tony <laughs> bianco, black ankle boots i found some in a store once and ended up looking them up so yeah. <laughs> well, that's it, right so all of these things like they start to help build a bit of a picture for search engines as to what this page is about because they can't actually understand it like a human can with kind of feeling and images and, and everything. That's a really so good tip. So it's like tag. consider yeah. it, it is literally a computer program. So don't think of it as a human. <laughs> Robots aren't that advanced yet. <laughs> Not yet, yeah. But then the other thing is like the robot has become very smart in the algorithm because if you try and write your content like in an unnatural way, if it's like too it optimized, it can pick up on it. Yes. Yeah, oh, so it can be like spammy. Like they talk about it in SEO as keyword spamming and that like back uh-huh. in the good old days or the terrible old days for the internet of SEO, people used to literally like hide keywords in like white text in margins, like of pages and like they'd just <laughs> fill up the page with keywords, as many keywords as possible. And everyone was just like keywords, keywords, keywords. Yeah. <laughs> and you could rank a page by being like the spammiest, SEO bro or girl ever. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something I would do. Like if I knew if I knew the algorithm wasn't gonna, you know, pick it up, definitely that's the kind of thing I would do. Yeah. But, okay, like, that's really interesting. So it can actually tell the difference with spammy stuff. Definitely, because Google if you think about like Google's main like source of revenue is like AdWords. So if people don't want to use the Google search engine if they're having a bad experience there, if they're not getting good search results or good content from Google, they'll go somewhere else. They'll go to Bing or they'll go like to Facebook or wherever. They'll go back to word of mouth or whatever the Mm -hmm. thing is to try and find the answers to the questions that they're asking. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of a lot of people do underestimate the power of word of mouth. I think a lot of people do get recommendations and stuff from friends and family and your network first to then help inform any Google searches after that. Exactly. So Yeah. yeah having the business name as something you can quickly win at in terms of search engine optimization is really great because they might already know your business name just from asking around and exactly exactly and so you can see like it's in everyone's best interest for this the experience to be good in search engines which is why they have the algorithm they don't let people kind of game it too much because then it would just become this big pile of kind of spammy relevant results so it still has to be like really good quality content that answers the question in the search query that the person has 
typed in. Yeah. And speaking of the algorithm, I know your last tip before we go into kind of what makes, how do you even pull a strategy together? But your last tip is really around voice search. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So voice search is actually really growing, really growing. I know. (laughs) So there's like varying estimations as to like how much penetration voice search will have by like 2020 or 2030. And it sort of goes anywhere between like 20% and 50%. So depending on who you ask, but it's still a lot of pet searches are happening on voice by voice command, whether that be through Siri or um, Google home, Google play, um, Amazon Echo. Yeah, Amazon Echo and Alexa. Like there's so many different ways you can search with your voice now. And so that's really influencing search results as well. But even if you think about your own behavior, if you do voice search, it tends to be question-led. It's it's really about asking the search engine a question that you're trying to get an answer for. So whether that's like what's the best um, route to take to Melbourne CBD now? Like you want to know. Yeah that's a traffic question for kind of Google maps. So that's not something that a small business might necessarily rank for, but then it could be like, where are the best places to eat in um, Fitzroy? Exactly. Yeah. You know, what's the best time of day to surf, you know, at Bondi or like, you know, random different questions that people might be asking, like what's the tide right now? What's the best time to visit Paris in, you know, all of these different things people ask. And I think there's an opportunity in serving the community that are searching for these answers for brands. So if you're, if you are, you know, a travel site, you your travel, like travel sites have the biggest opportunity to, to create content because people literally could go anywhere and yeah. they could ask questions about their destination when they're in the research phase. So it might be like we talked about the best time of year to visit Paris or what to do in Paris in January. Mm-hmm. So there's like, so many different themes of content you can think about within that space. I remember talking to, um, there was a journalist um, I spoke to about voice search stuff and she was talking about how like, you know, more and more um, people are listening to podcasts and stuff through their home listening yes. voice device thing. So, you know, even if, even if you're in B2B, it could be like, you know, um, hey Siri, play a podcast on how I can be a better manager or something like that. Like, I think it's, we're not that far away from being able to optimize things like all audio content, like podcasts and even videos and stuff as well. Oh, totally. Like search engine optimization goes beyond Google. Like that's kind of been the main player for a long time, but with people searching, people search for loads of different stuff. Like Pinterest is, I think Pinterest is a search engine, like people think of it as an image engine, but it's organize like a search engine mm-hmm. you search for things within it and if you you can optimize your pins in the same way that you optimize like seo content really same goes for youtube yes same goes for youtube Which and even like even the content <laughs> on like facebook and instagram the keywords that are in those posts if people are looking for something specific like it's the hashtags on instagram but on mm-hmm. facebook you have a bit more of kind of openness in search results there as well. So there's definitely optimization opportunities everywhere. Everywhere. That's awesome. So speaking of that, because there is a lot, what actually goes into a robust SEO strategy? So I think a lot of people don't realize 
what could potentially go into a really robust and thought out SEO strategy. So I know you guys at Young Folks do that for people and pull together that very sexy spreadsheet. I've seen it on your Instagram stories. (laughs) (laughs) It's very detailed and fabulous. So do you want to talk (laughs) through what that process typically looks like? What's involved? For us, it's usually kind of a three-step process. It always starts with an audit for us. So that's that real kind of get the lay of the land, understand how the website's been organized, how the content's structured and what are the opportunities within the search kind of market at the moment. Once we've done that, we move into creating a strategy. So there's, it's, it's seriously time-consuming stuff. I feel like SEO is such a kind of mysterious act on the internet that people don't always have a good idea of what's actually going into it and can sometimes kind of be blown away by the proposals that come back from agencies, you know, when it's like, oh, well, that'll be, you know, a couple of thousand a month to kind of address this sort of work. But when you actually look at the number of hours that people really put into kind of getting sites to rank, it's seriously time consuming stuff and it really covers a lot of areas. So for us, we look at the content um, the user experience, the website information architecture, the page speed, how the site's coded, social media activity, links for referring back from other websites. And even like the content piece is like every single page on your website could be an opportunity for optimization. And sometimes you need to have like a complete rewrite of the content on a page and add like a thousand words of optimized content. So if we're talking about a 10 page website, all of a sudden the, the content aspect of SEO alone could grow to being 10,000 words of content that need to be written to be able to have like a chance of ranking that site. Mm-hmm. So that it's really kind of in that space that we, a lot of the time sort of gets taken up in, a, in implementing an SEO strategy. But I think the most important thing when you're talking about like what's involved in a robust SEO strategy, it's really having a structured approach to it. It's quite systematic. It really is like going through each of the different aspects of what makes a website rank. And it's not known completely like what Google's algorithm, how it exactly works or how Pinterest exactly works or YouTube. But the search on Google alone, it's estimated that there's 200 ranking factors and over a thousand signals that Google takes into account to rank a page. So (laughs) we're working with a lot of different variables. (laughs) Yeah. And I think when people think about SEO and that could be potentially daunting with the time it would take to build a really great strategy, just take a step back and have a think about the time it took you to create a really great social media strategy or email marketing strategy. It's the same kind of thing. You know, it takes the same amount of kind of time investment, I suppose, and strategy and structure, like you say, you know, I mean, I think at the beginning, a lot of people were just like, oh, like, you know, why are you spending so much time on Instagram? And now, you know, years later, Instagram for Collabosaurus, that leads to 60% of our sales. So well, exactly, yeah. Like so anything that you put the time into, exactly, it, it always like pays off in the end. And as you said, like it, you can end up spending hours and hours and hours on a particular channel, and it really does come around and pay off. But I often have to check myself as well because I get drawn into like the Instagram space because it's so fun, and I DM people and I have great chats with our community. 
Oh, but and you then, cannot put all your eggs in one basket. No, and then I kind of go, oh my goodness, I've totally like haven't written a blog post for a month. Then I've like let my SEO strategy slide. Like it's so, I mean, I feel the juggle. Everybody who runs a business knows that we're always like dealing with competing priorities. But I think the nice thing with SEO is generally once you've ranked a keyword, unless it's a really competitive space or unless there's a major change to the algorithm, mm-hmm. you kind of can hang around in that sort of, area within the search results for a while and it can just be that kind of trickle on a trickle down effect of traffic to your site and when I've worked with like big um content sites like I used to work with in the publishing sector and so we had like magazine content kind of up the wazoo and (laughs) so much (laughs) content. Up the wazoo is is such a great phrase (laughs) in ages. It's so good. It feels like vaguely inappropriate, which is kind of why I like it as well. <laughs> but, you know, like when you're dealing with a lot of content, you might end up having like a thousand pages that are each targeting a different keyword that only brings in like a hundred sessions a month. But when you've got a thousand of them, all of a sudden that's a huge volume of traffic that you're getting to your website for lots of different keywords that have lots of different search intent that you can then convert into sales or convert into leads or inquiries so I think oh, it's a it, nice it's like so, thing to find. it's so worth checking out things like that uber suggests and um keywords everywhere and answer the public just to see how many searches are happening around your topic of you know focus and all that kind of stuff every single month because I was surprised um when I had a look as that there was you know a good couple of like not a couple of hundred, like more like 900 searches every couple of weeks, I think it was, um, around collaboration marketing and partnerships and um, all that kind of stuff as well. So yeah, it was surprising and definitely worth investing time in because effectively we're missing out um, on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of (laughs) website visits and conversions then potentially. Yeah. Definitely. And when you're thinking about what those keywords are, like when we talk about that, coming back to that question of what's involved in the robust SEO strategy, one thing that I like to suggest to people that are kind of starting out at this and might just find that they end up with like thousands of keywords and don't really know like how to organize them or what to do with them. It can feel really overwhelming when you've got lots of them. Um, Yeah. Like how many keywords do you think a small business should kind of start with? Well, I'd start by thinking about it literally like a bullseye. So think, imagine a bullseye and then also imagine your customer's journey to purchase where if they're in the center of the bullseye, they are buying from you, like they are ready to buy. And then like the outer rings of the bullseye, they're still researching what they want to do. So let's say we're talking about like booking this holiday to Paris that we keep talking about. Like I feel like Can we, we please do. book a holiday to Paris <laughs> just for, you know, for research purposes only. Totally. It's for SEO. Yeah. <laughs> File under SEO. <laughs> so if we're thinking about, okay, we want to book this holiday to Paris. If I was um, a travel company that uh, allowed people to book hotels and flights through my website, if somebody was typing in um, something like hotels in Paris, like third or on this month, um, that might be a good in, that would indicate that they're looking for a pretty specific location. They might be getting very close to being ready to book. Um, but if somebody types in something like, well, I'm going to think of a hotel name in Paris. Can't think of one right now, but like, 
hotel the name Ritz, in darling the Ritz. Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it could be like the Ritz book now, like the Ritz Paris book now, or book the Ritz in Paris. That's like right on the bullseye. They're ready to go. So that is a perfect example of like you want to rank for keywords that are going to bring you conversions as like a focus. Yeah, totally. But then the, that kind of way out on the outer ring of the bullseye that we might have. Um, when's the best time to visit Paris? But then even beyond that, they might not even be thinking Paris yet. They might be thinking like where to go in Europe in June. Like that could be like the, like the most outer ring. So if you're getting traffic for people that are looking up where to go in Europe in June, they have intent, but they don't have intent to purchase right now. They're very much in the research phase. They haven't even decided what part of Europe they want to go to, let alone what hotel they want to book. So you're kind of very far away from making the conversion. So when you're thinking about your strategy and how many keywords you need and what to do with them all, Mm -hmm. start with what is someone going to type in if they were to buy from you like this week and then work your way out from there. And that's pretty much kind of how your SEO strategy wants to kind of flow. And when you get to those like big kind of outer ring generic keywords, you might not be focusing on them for like a while, but that could be a, if you make a commitment to kind of blog once a month, you could pick one of those outer kind of like outer space <laughs> off the bullseye kind of keywords to yeah. focus well, on as a blog funnily post. Funnily enough, I actually made a purchasing decision and it was through a string of SEO related searches within a 48 hour period. So I went onto Pinterest and I searched for um, linen quilt covers. That was just, I know, just to see different colors. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw a couple of colors and then I'd search color specific. So then I was like navy quilt, co- like navy linen quilt covers. Yeah. And I found two that I really liked. One was from Adairs and I saved the image and then like the next day I was showing my boyfriend Maddie and I was like here and then I clicked on the Pinterest image which took me to Adair's site so they had a rich pin which is fabulous because yeah. it leads straight back to the website mm-hmm. which took me to the purchase page and I kind of like was like oh this is interesting you know I really like this and then I ended up in store buying it that specific one because it had come up on Pinterest when I was searching for inspiration but then very quickly that turned into a purchase. <laughs> Well, that's perfect. That's and yeah. that was a like you started with maybe like sort of further out. You knew what exactly. you wanted. Exactly, I started linen, broad, yet. and then yeah. that led me down to the bullseye. Exactly, that's it. <laughs> I love it. It's the new way to do marketing. It's the bullseye approach to marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's it. probably not new. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go to Paris now. That's all I'm thinking. Yeah, we're going to Paris and we're doing a conference about bullseye marketing. <laughs> yeah. So if someone wants to engage with Young Folks Digital to build that really robust SEO strategy and start converting all of that potential traffic that they're missing out on, where's the best place to find you? You can find us on Google. On Google? <laughs> if you Google Young Folks Digital. Exactly. <laughs> I'm still working on ranking for Young Folks specifically. <laughs> I've just got to outrank an, an amazing band. You know, add, no add the digital at the end, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank or you, you can find us on Instagram. So. Oh, oh, my gosh. And Instagram, yes. Erin has some fabulous tips on Instagram. Um, Thank goodness. I'm, I'm so on Instagram at the moment, so addicted. <laughs> but but Google awesome. should not be ignored. So thank you <laughs> so much for today, Erin. You're a legend and they're fabulous tips. I know everyone's going to really appreciate them. Thank you. Yay. Thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome to chat. 
There you have it guys, some amazing tips that you can implement straight away when it comes to DIYing your own SEO. I know there's a couple of tips and tricks in there that I'll absolutely be implementing straight away. And I learned all about alt tags, which I didn't know about before. Um, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you do love the podcast, we would so appreciate it if you left a review and a rating simply because iTunes have their own algorithm, just like Google, and that helps other people find us. It really does mean a lot. So a big thank you in advance if you could leave a review if you haven't already. Um, I know one of this episode was a little bit longer than normal, but the content was way too juicy not to share. So I hope you enjoyed and we'll see you again next time. Thanks so much. Bye.